Hey, everybody. Welcome to Summarily, a podcast for busy lawyers. On this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest to discuss the brewing legal issue between Disney and the state of Florida. Professor Eugene Volokh is the Gary T. Schwartz Distinguished Professor of Law at the UCLA School of Law, where he teaches First Amendment and a First Amendment amicus brief clinic. Professor Volokh clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor on the United States Supreme Court and Judge Alex Kolzinski on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Professor Volokh, welcome to Summarily, and thank you very much for joining me today. It is a privilege. Thanks very much for having me. Always great to be on. Professor Volokh, before we dive in, let's set the stage for folks who are not familiar with what's happening between Governor DeSantis, the state of Florida, and Disney. Disney expressed opposition to the so-called Don't Say Gay law. In response, the governor made several statements accusing Disney of being quote-unquote woke and began to state openly that the state of Florida should sunset the Reedy Creek Special District. The district was established in 1967, and it essentially allows Disney to operate as a governmental unit. Last Friday, the governor signed the law that dissolves the special district in June of 2023. Soon after, legal commentators began to write about the possibility of Disney filing a lawsuit based on retaliation under the First Amendment. But before we would begin our discussion, I wanted to set some assumptions. First, we're going to assume that Disney is a proper plaintiff and that the state of Florida is a proper defendant. And we are also going to assume that Disney has a cognizable injury and in standing to sue, which is far from certain. I wanted to start out, if we could, with some of the basics. What is retaliation under the First Amendment? There's retaliation and there's unconstitutional retaliation. Generally speaking, in many situations, the government is not allowed to punish us or deny us benefits because of uh, the viewpoints we express. So say, for example, I'm a government contractor. Let's say I haul trash and I have a government contract to haul trash. Supreme Court says the government generally can't cancel that contract or refuse to renew it simply based on my viewpoints that I've expressed that the government disapproves of. Uh, likewise, in many jurisdictions, uh, governments are required by law to uh, publish certain kinds of uh, uh, information in uh, some newspapers, certain, sometimes called legal advertising, but basically have uh, have certain information be published in some newspapers so the public can see it. This, these laws were, of course, before the advent of the internet. Um, and these kinds of contracts for publishing this information were pretty valuable to newspapers. They don't have to do a lot of work and they get paid. And uh, occasionally you'd see a, a city saying, well, we don't, we don't like this newspaper anymore. It's been criticizing us. Uh, that is say elected officials could been criticizing elected officials. So we're just not going to put this advertising in it. Well, courts have generally said that's unconstitutional retaliation. Uh, likewise with employees. Uh, if uh, you work for the government as, uh, I don't know, uh, as, as a firefighter, and then you say something, the government can't just fire you just because it doesn't like what you're saying. Maybe if it's disruptive enough to, to the operation of the employer, maybe then you could be fired. But there, at least there's some pretty strong First Amendment protections there. On the other hand, not all retaliation is, is uh, uh, unconstitutional, right? Uh, let's say you are a cabinet member in uh, some state government, 
and let's say you were appointed by the governor and then you say something that the governor doesn't like you could be you could be dismissed for that because that's politics or let's say you are a committee chair uh, in a state legislature uh, then you change parties you have every right to change parties but then your party the one that made you committee chair would say, well, you, we don't want you to be committee chair anymore. You'll, you'll be the ranking minority member uh, with a lot less power, uh, right? So within the political process, this kind of retaliation against political officials is actually both normal and constitutionally permissible. This is just the tip of the iceberg. The big picture is even more complicated, right. but, right. Uh, uh, but basically that's how the law treats retaliation. Much of the time, a retaliation for one's constitutionally protected speech is unconstitutional, but some of the time it's fine. For purposes of, of this discussion, it's really important to, for, for listeners to understand, particularly people who are not lawyers, that on its face, the governor's comments and the subsequent actions look like retaliation in the common sense way that you would think of retaliation. But Retaliation, but retaliation in the legal sense, as you just alluded to, is much more complicated. Or to be precise, not all retaliation is unconstitutional. Correct. So, so one way of, uh, uh, of seeing this, one argument you can make is, look, Disney's kind of like that trash hauler. It got a deal from the government, presumably a win-win deal. It's going to run this theme park, which is going to bring a lot of tourism and bring a lot of tax revenue. In exchange, it gets this special district. And uh, uh, it can't now be stripped of that deal because of its political advocacy. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is to say that it's kind of like an appointed official. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's an it. It's a, it's a corporation. It, it doesn't actually hold office as such but it has been given this kind of political power through the political process. And just as with appointed officials who get political power with political process, it can be stripped away through the political process, uh, including for political reasons. So that would suggest it's constitutional. And then there's a third way of looking at it, which is say, even let's set aside the political, the political nature of the power that it was, that's being denied, that's being a special government district that's being taken away. What happened was it got a very special deal. It's not like with contractors where, you know, there's always gonna be a trash hauler and everybody is entitled to bid for it. And if you get, lose the contract, there'll still be another trash hauling contract. Right. Or with employment where again, it's presumably open to a lot of uh, people. Or another example is tax exemptions, right? Tax exemptions are just generally available and the government can't then take it away from you because it doesn't like your politics. Uh, rather, this is a very special deal that it got that, you know, I've heard it say that a few other corporations have gotten in other parts of Florida, but still it's a specialized deal, specialized program in a sense that the government can just abolish. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, you know, it's an interesting question. The problem is there's no precedent that's squarely on point in this kind of situation. And yep. the analogies uh, either to the political, to the high-level appointed officials, or to the ordinary contractors and employees, uh, none of them is perfect. Right. So, so that's why we lawyers get paid the big bucks. <laughs> so, in in addition to, or is there a different avenue or path forward for Disney? Is there is there a possibility that this could be viewed as a viewpoint discrimination case? Well, that's the first argument uh, that I mentioned to say, look, we're just like the trash hole. You can't cancel the trash holders contract 
just because you don't like its viewpoint. You can't cancel the special district for us just because you don't like our viewpoint. That's their argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a possible response is, well, you're not just a trash caller. We, ju- we kind of appointed you to be sort of a local government. Right. Kind of like, not identically to, but kind of like a governor could appoint someone to be a uh, cabinet member. We appointed you perhaps in part because we liked both what you were doing, but also your politics. You know, Disney in the 1960s had sort of this wholesome, all-American, pro-American, I think, image. So we liked your politics then. We were willing to give you the special political uh, power. And now we don't like your politics so much anymore. So we're going to take it away. Right. Uh, and, uh, And that's just politics. You aren't just a company that's being treated like any other company. You were a company that was given political power through the political process. You could lose that political power through the political process. Correct me here, but it, if it were a viewpoint discrimination case, the courts would apply strict scrutiny. I would not say that. Because, Why is that? Because the examples that I gave with regard to the high-level government officials, the appointed officials, also involve viewpoint discrimination or could, right? Imagine you're the governor and you're... Uh, your uh, cabinet member expresses the viewpoint that you deserve to be thrown out of office Mm -hmm. or expresses the viewpoint that he used to be of your party, but now he's shifted. He says, my viewpoint now is this party that I belong to when I was appointed as a bad party. I like the other party more. Or let's say he just expresses viewpoints that you think are bad politics. It could be allegedly racist viewpoints or anti-war viewpoints or, or viewpoints that oppose some policy of yours or viewpoints that alienate prospective voters. Mm-hmm. He, can, he can fire you. He can dismiss you from your cabinet position based on viewpoint. There's not a general First Amendment rule that says all viewpoint discrimination by the government is always unconstitutional. It is unconstitutional in many situations, in employment, in contracting, in administering generally applicable benefit programs like maybe tax exemptions and such but not in all situations, right? Mm-hmm. But another thing, uh, uh, but put another way, when you are, if you are um, appointed uh, uh, as a high level government official, presumably you're appointed precisely because of your viewpoint, because you're right. the right party or the right politics, or you maybe because you endorsed this, uh, 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 the governor in the, in the last election campaign, right? So you could be dismissed because of your viewpoint as well. It's not just whether this was retaliation based on viewpoint, but whether it was the kind of retaliation based on viewpoint that is unconstitutional or the kind of retaliation based on viewpoint that because it's kind of within the political system is permissible. If it were viewpoint discrimination, though, would that be analyzed under strict scrutiny? It's true that in those areas where viewpoint discrimination is generally presumptively prohibited, there are at least some cases that say that it's only allowed if it can pass strict scrutiny, mm-hmm. if it's narrowly tailored to a compelling government interest. There are some other cases, by the way, that say that in those areas where viewpoint discrimination is generally not allowed, it's just not allowed, period. It doesn't matter if it's narrowly tailored to compelling government interest, if the restriction is narrowly tailored to compelling government interest, because it's just unconstitutional to discriminate based on a viewpoint in those areas. So the real question isn't whether this restriction would or wouldn't pass strict scrutiny. It's hard to see how there's some compelling government interest that this kind of the the cancellation of this district, the repeal of this district is uh, narrowly tailored to. The question is, is this the kind of government action as to which viewpoint discrimination is generally forbidden 
Or is it the kind of government action in which viewpoint discrimination is part of ordinary politics? One possible analogy would be employment cases. If, if that were true, if, they, if we analogize under employment cases and we assume that this is a retaliation claim, can you explain whether or not the Pickering balancing would be the applicable way for a court to, to analyze this particular situation? Well, again, it depends on what kind of employment you analogize this to. It's true that uh, uh, when you get to, to government employment or government contracting, the government has some power to fire people, for example, or cancel contracts based on speech and even based on viewpoint. If uh, the things that somebody says are so controversial that they alienate their coworkers and alienate uh, prospective clients or make people seriously doubt this person's commitment to the job, then in that case, the person can be fired even without passing this strict scrutiny test. He can be fired on the grounds that the speech is so disruptive that, that the need to promote efficient government functioning outweighs the value of the speech. I, I don't see how this Pickering balancing test, if it were applied, would really help the Florida government here, because it's hard to see that, that Disney's political speech is disruptive here in the sense of, of interfering with its ability to do its job running this district, right? Mm -hmm. It's right. just it's something that, that uh, the legislature dislikes, uh, but, the, but the Disney will still be able to run the district just as well and probably run its theme parks and bring in the, the, <laughs> the tax revenue uh, right. just as well. Right. But again, even in the context of employment, there's not one unitary test. There's right. one test for lower level and mid-level government employees. And there's another test for kind of high level government employees that have policy making authority is one way of putting it. Another way of putting it may be that have kind of have a political role and political power. So a uh, cabinet member is still a em government employee, gets a salary paid for by the government, uh, but the cabinet member can be fired just because the governor thinks it the, just doesn't like this person's politics. And a lower level employee can't be fired, generally speaking, based on that. So if you had to guess, how do you think a court would likely try to resolve this dispute? Do you think that they would, do you think there's, it's more likely they would look at this uh, and analogize it to employment cases? I have very little confidence in my ability to predict things in this kind of area where the precedents are not squarely on point. Sometimes right. I could tell that here's a precedent, which is right. pretty clear. But this is, this is not an area in which these precedents are squarely on point. Uh, I'm inclined to say, if I had to guess, that probably a court would say, look, this is politics. This is a government entity that's being disestablished. It was given political power, essentially a corporation was given political power for for plausible reasons, perhaps. And now it's being stripped of that political power. And that should be for the political process to, to decide. I think a lot of judges are inclined to not step in or are inclined to defer to the political process in situations which are seen as clearly political. Whether or not the judge an analogizes it to employment doesn't really resolve that because the judge could say, yeah, I'm analogizing it to employment. It's kind of like they hired Disney to run this district, kind of like the way you might hire a cabinet member to run the department, State Department of Education. And then when you don't like him anymore, you can fire him if you're the right. governor, or right. in this case, if you're the legislature. 
So I'm inclined to say that courts are probably going to defer to the political process here. But again, I don't want to, to overstate my confidence on this. I'm not completely confident or even highly confident on the subject. I know that in reading your recent um, articles on this topic that you uh, you also engaged in, I guess, what we could call, you know, an exchange over, via articles with Professor Michael Dorff. And one of the one of the ways that he thought this case could be analogized was pointing to the Bridgegate case. What did you make of, of that particular analogy? You know, I think one thing that uh, Mike Dorff and I agree on is that it's not really uh, uh, that, that it's not clear what the best analogy is, that this is a difficult and not a uh, difficult question of the precedent stone. The, the Bridgegate scenario, as I understand it, is let's say that in retaliation for the, pol- the decisions of a mayor, political decisions of a mayor, the governor decides to cut off services to the mayor's constituents. Mm-hmm. I think that, that's bad. I'm not even positive that that would violate the First Amendment. Uh, even if it does, that's cutting off ordinary ordinary services, like, for example, cutting off access to a bridge. Certainly, if you were to say, well, we're going to deny access to, to this bridge to people who, whose politics we don't like, to alleged white supremacists or, to, or uh, to Antifa or whatever else, just because we don't like their politics, of course, that would be unconstitutional. But if it's that because the mayor doesn't like, excuse me, the governor doesn't like what a mayor is saying, then he's going to veto a bill that would maybe change the status of the mayor's city because different in some states different cities have different legal statuses and some statuses give the city more political power well i you know i'm not i don't think a court is likely to step in and say oh well that's unconstitutional retaliation because i think the court might well say this is just politics likewise i think there are a lot of situations where uh, where, for example, a, a governor might uh, uh, might support some some political new political subdivisions because he likes the politics of the people who are proposing them because their people are of his own party and mm-hmm. he wouldn't uh, he he would veto a bill that came from people from another party. It seems to me that would be constitutionally permissible as well. Where, if at all, does does the governor's statements about Disney? come into play in this case? Well, the government state, the, the governor can say whatever he wants, oversimplify, but basically about whomever he wants. That is definitely government speech. But again, it wasn't just the governor saying things, it's the states doing things. And to the extent the motivation matters, and it doesn't always matter, but in retaliation claims, presumably government motivation might matter, uh, then the, gov- the governor's statements may very well be evidence of why it is mm-hmm. that this particular uh, uh, law was passed. Well, Professor Volok, I know you're very busy, and I want to thank you for carving out some time to speak with me today about this subject. It's gaining steam, I think, here in Florida in the sense that I'm seeing more and more being written about it. And I guess we will just have to wait to see what Disney plans to do. Makes sense to me. Thanks very much for having me on. All righty. Thank you very much, sir. Okay. All the best. You too. Well, folks, before we wrap up today, I think it's important to point out that there are a lot of issues we did not discuss today with regard to how Disney v. State would play out in court. As I mentioned at the top, it is not clear that Disney has a cognizable injury. 
and we did not discuss what Disney would need to show in order to get past a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment. And we also did not discuss what the appropriate remedy would be should Disney prevail. I hope to bring in a federal courts expert in the coming weeks to discuss these and other practical questions. But for now, we'll just have to wait to see what the mouse does. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Once again, I want to thank Professor Volokh for joining me, and I want to thank Chris Clark of Pendulum Productions for editing and producing this podcast. And please remember, folks, case law is one word. Thank you.